Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and they do a great job. They take care of our air conditioning. They'll do a great job for you as well. Just go to the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about H.R. 1. This is this law that tends to federalize most of the election law that we see, and it just seems unconstitutional to me. I look forward to that discussion. Also visit with Andy Joppa. He is a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. His latest is right here in front of me. It's called What Makes Us, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Uh, we'll be talking about his column in Newsmax. Nothing comical about Putin and his mockery of uh, Biden's America. It is March the 24th, and on this day in 1996, U.S. astronaut Shannon Lucid transferred to the Russian space station Mir from the U.S. space station shuttle Atlantis for a planned five-month stay. She was the first female U.S. astronaut to live in a space station. She's a biochemist. She shared Mir with uh, Russian cosmonauts Yuri Yunofrienko and Yuri Yusufev. Actually, pronounce the pronunciation of those names, but I'm not sure I got them right. Anyhow, they conducted scientific experiments during her stay. Beginning in August, her scheduled return to Earth was delayed more than six weeks because of last-minute repairs to a booster rocket of Atlantis, and then by a hurricane. Finally, on September the 26th, 1996, she returned to Earth aboard Atlantis, touching down at Edwards Air Force Base in California. Her 188-day sojourn. Aboard Mir set a new space endurance record for an American and a world endurance record for a woman as well. A lot of things that happen on this day, uh, but I think this is uh, especially interesting. It's interesting to me because here we have this arch enemy, the USSR, who we're now collaborating with with regard to uh, space. I wonder if perhaps we could pull the same thing off on looking towards collaborating on going to Mars and other places in outer space. We'll perhaps ponder that with Larry Bell later in the show, or on another show. Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 94 new COVID-19 cases and no additional deaths in Collier County on Tuesday. The seven-day new case average in Collier is about 68 through Monday, about 14% fewer than on February the 15th. At 2 p.m. on Tuesday, there were 41 COVID patients, way below uh, the maximum that we can handle. We've been up to about 138, 140 cases in hospitals in Collier County. So uh, right now we're seeing the numbers go down, and hopefully it stays that way. Uh, Senator Rand Paul reiterated his skepticism of Biden's medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, for a stance on masking as a way to mitigate the threat of COVID-19 pandemic, Paul said to uh, Brian Kilmeade that the burden should be 
on the government to show the masking mandates were necessary. Let me repeat that. It should be on the government to show that masking mandates are necessary. Well, you see what the argument is, Paul said. His argument is, what if? It's always if these people can spread it, and my response is, show me the evidence, show me the proof, you know, show me that people are transmitting this who have gotten vaccinated, and there is no proof of that fact, and the vaccine is doing very well. There has been almost no hospitalizations of someone who's been vaccinated, been almost no deaths, I think zero deaths from people getting COVID after vaccination. So they're arguing you might be able to be to transmit it. All I'm saying is, is if you want me to wear a mask for two or more years or three more years or for the rest of my life, why don't you show me the evidence? That seems like such a reasonable position from Rand Paul. He's remember he's an uh, he's a doctor. Why shouldn't the burden be on the government to show us evidence that we are still somehow transmitting this? He continued, and you notice what he slipped in there in the end that. It's the real truth that is with civility, and so he thinks that it's no big deal, but people's livelihoods are being lost. I mean, restaurants are being shut down. I don't know what this is being civil to have that empty booth between me and the next person. If it doesn't work, why are we doing it, he asked. Pretty darn reasonable question. My guess is right now, if in fact we had no more cases in Collier County, more than half of the people, the population would still be wearing masks. That's unfortunate. We should be, we should be asking for evidence of why should we be, we should be wearing masks at all. I don't think there's a lot of evidence that, that we should be. I've read evidence that, uh, in fact, uh, a mask does nothing in order to prevent the spread of coronavirus. The Biden-Harris administration is shutting down the southwest end of National Mall around the Tidal Basin during a two-week peak cherry blossom time to prevent the public from walking around in fresh air and sunshine, sometimes pretty cool, but anyhow, to view the annual event in person over fears of COVID-19. Open-air memorials to Thomas Jefferson, Martin Luther King, and Franklin Roosevelt, located near the Tidal Basin, will be closed to keep people from sneaking a peek at the cherry blossoms. I lived in Washington, D.C. The cherry blossoms coming out each year was a big deal, kind of a sign of spring. To me, this is just unbelievable that they would close this part of the Tidal Basin so people can enjoy the the, uh, cherry blossoms. Again, where's the proof? Come back to this question. I personally would look forward to uh, some sort of a perhaps visual uh, burning (laughs) of mass in the city square sometime in the near future. Congratulations to Mark Isaacson. He'll be the next. Collier County manager. Uh, He Tuesday was voted unanimously by the uh, city council, or I I should say by the Collier County commissioners, the the county's corporate financial and management services director, to succeed Leo Oaks as county manager. Oaks plans to retire at the end of May after replacing Jim Mudd. Jim Mudd was a feisty guy. I really liked Jim Mudd. He died of a brain tumor, as I recall. Anyhow, Oaks took the job in 2009, and he's done exemplary work. I think he's done a great job. Commissioners uh, chose from five finalists for the job. Isaacson began his career in Cuyahoga County in 2004 as a management and budget analyst, according to his resume. He took over as Cuyahoga's director of corporate finance and management services in 2009. 
The role includes managing the county's budget and overseeing the budget process, according to Isaac's uh, resume. So prior to his experience in Cuyahoga County, he held management roles in government in Illinois and Michigan. So congratulations to you. Again, Mark Isaacson taking over as the manager of Collier County. Big job. Uh, what do you do in the United States of America when a local business can't or won't provide a product or service you requested? Well, speaking for myself, I walk to the, uh, out the door and spend my money somewhere else, or at least I did back when businesses had doors you could walk in and out of. I vote with my wallet. If they don't want my business, fine. That's capitalism, and it's been working pretty darn good. Pretty darn well for the last few centuries, or at least that's the way it used to work. But in the 21st century, that's not enough. These days, a disgruntled customer needs to ruin a proprietor's life. A Colorado baker, you may recall this story. This has been in the news a lot. And it, I'm highlighting this because this is just justice run amok. A Colorado baker who won a partial victory at a U.S. Supreme Court in 2018 for refusing to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple, went on trial Monday in yet another lawsuit, this one involving a birthday cake for a transgender woman. Autumn Scardina attempted to order a birthday cake on the same day in 2017 that the high court announced it would hear Baker Jack Phillips' appeal in the wedding cake case. Scardina, who's an attorney, requested a cake that was blue on the outside and pink on the inside in honor of her gender transition, in opening arguments, the lawyer representing Phillips, Sean Gates, said his refusal to make Scarnita's cake was about its message not discriminating against Scardina, echoing assertions made in Phillips' legal battle over his refusal to make a wedding cake for Charlie Ch uh, Craig and Dave Mullins in 2012. Sounds to me like it's time for Colorado to open up a second bakery. If the name order... Autumn Scardina sounds familiar. That's because that's the person who was hounding Jack Phillips for years. The same day the Supreme Court decided to hear Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission in 2017, Scardina called up to request her cake. He's a target. This is a nine-year assault on Jack Phillips. Jack Phillips didn't do anything to this person. He didn't go to Scardina's house and scream through a bullhorn. He didn't try to peel off Scardina's scalp while shouting, she's a man, baby. He hasn't harmed Scardina in any way. He just politely declined to provide a service for religious reasons, and now he's being persecuted for it again. What my opinion is uh, the judge should dismiss this case and have all legal charges, uh, attorney charges, charged back to her for this. It's just harassment on her part. She may not like the fact that he has religious beliefs that she doesn't agree with. Did you notice that Scardina isn't hounding a Muslim bakery? I don't know how many people have gone to Muslim-owned bakeries and asked for gay wedding cakes. Probably not many, but irrespective, uh, this is just plain wrong. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com also by life in naples magazine be in the know and stay up to date by reading life in naples the website is lifeinnaples.net coming up we're going to visit with bob levy bob is the chairman of the cato institute we're going to do that and more right here in the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network <laughs> 
more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, building a brand-new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author, he's a constitutional scholar, and he's the chairman of a terrific organization. It's called the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Cato dot org. Encourage you to visit the uh, the website. Very robust and very informative. So, Bob, uh, let's discuss H.R. 1. That's, I think, the very first uh, House of Representatives law that has been proposed by the Democrats. It's now passed the House, and it goes to the Senate. Uh, what are its main provisions? Most people think of it as a voting rights bill. It's called For the People Act, uh, but it actually has six major uh, provisions, the first of which is this national voter registration and national standards for mail-in ballots. Uh, the second is the establishment of a nonpartisan 
redistricting commissions to attack the gerrymandering problem. The third is new campaign finance disclosures on on so-called dark money. Uh, Fourth is an ethics code for Supreme Court justices. Fifth is barring members of Congress from settling sex-related lawsuits using taxpayer money. Sounds like a no-brainer. And sixth is uh, requiring uh, presidents to uh, disclose their tax returns. So interesting. So, uh, I mean, usually you think about the uh, election process as being governed and uh, under the auspices of the states. Is H.R. 1 constitutional? Well, you hit the nail on the head. It's probably unconstitutional, at least the uh, voting part of it. The states are authorized under the Constitution to and this is a quote, a point in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of directors, uh, electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled. So that's the state power to appoint electors. The feds only have the power to determine the time of choosing the electors. So that's the rule for presidential elections. So accordingly, I think it's fair to say that Congress would be overreaching, would be encroaching on state powers, unless Congress were to base its case on the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause and produce some evidence that state laws discriminate against a protected class of citizens. And even then, the remedy for fixing that discrimination, if it exists, would have to be congruent and proportional to the alleged violations. So national voter standards would not be warranted merely because one state required, let's say, burdensome proof of citizenship uh, to register. That would not be congruent and proportional uh, to the violation. And I don't believe that Congress has met its burden with respect to most of the state laws at issue. Yeah, and uh, certainly we've got some issues with elections, but it doesn't sound like they're being addressed by H.R. 1. What will the Supreme Court likely say about H.R. 1? Well, I think the court's going to give us a clue when it resolves two pending cases that are for it right now. The first one is this Arizona Republican Party versus the Democratic National Committee, and that's a test of whether restrictions on so-called ballot harvesting violate the Voting Rights Act. And the second is this Brunovich versus Democratic National Committee, whether it violates the Voting Rights Act when Arizona and some other states uh, reject ballots of those who vote in the wrong precinct. Now, my guess is, I'm not sure how those uh, cases are going to be resolved. My guess is that H.R. 1's national registration and mail-in standards are going to be held unconstitutional if indeed H.R. 1 ever were to become law, which itself is uh, doubtful. Interesting. So what's your view about H.R. 1's major provisions? Well, this, uh, as I indicated, I think the major voting provision is unconstitutional. The nonpartisan redistricting commission might be a good idea. Uh, It's probably constitutional as a means of curbing uh, the gerrymandering problem. Uh, The court in the past hasn't been willing to weigh in on these what they call political questions, because there's no established legal standards. But that seems to be changing, and the court seems more willing to do so. Mm. Uh, The new campaign finance disclosures, I think, violate the First Amendment's protection for compelled political speech. This is this 
so-called dark money, non-disclosed contributions to ideological groups like these uh, 501c4 social welfare organizations, as well as uh, 501c5 unions and 501c6 trade associations. The Supreme Court ruled uh, in a case called NAACP versus Alabama that required disclosure of donors uh, represents compelled speech. And uh, they wouldn't permit that because they said it would result, could result in retribution against those donors, or at a minimum, it might chill political expression. Uh, on the ethics code for Supreme Court justices, maybe okay, depending on the details. We don't know those details yet. Barring members of Congress from settling sex-related lawsuits with taxpayer money, I mean, that, that seems to be long overdue. And uh, whether the president should have to disclose his tax returns, I think that provision also uh, might be unconstitutional uh, because it adds to the qualifications for office that the Constitution prescribes. That was the issue in the term limits case. You know, the uh-huh. court decided that states could not add to qualifications for serving in Congress by tacking on a maximum term provision. So this would tack on a provision that said, in order to be president, the candidate has to disclose his tax returns. I doubt that that would hold up. It, that would require a constitutional amendment? It's a close call, but I think uh, there's a good argument that it would. That's so interesting. Okay, so what will likely happen in the Senate? I don't think H.R. 1 is going to get the 60 votes necessary to pass the Senate, and I don't think the Democrats have the votes uh, to get rid of the legislative uh, filibuster. Now, there's a lot of talk about that, but it, it seems that the Republicans will be able to hold the line there. See, so that's a that's a big point that just you just made because uh, there's a lot of pressure right now on a lot of folks. Well, a few folks, uh, Senema, for example, as well as uh, the uh, senator from West Virginia, to yeah, Joe uh, Manchin, Joe Manchin, to change their minds about that. And if that happened, would that open up? Could they actually, have, you know, do use what I think they call the nuclear option to get rid of uh, the sixty vote requirement? Yeah, I mean that would that would uh, make it very much more difficult. There is there is this one other technical provision in the Constitution that says you know you have to have a quorum to do business in the Senate. A quorum is defined as fifty one uh, senators. But the interesting thing is, and very few people realize this, in counting up to fifty one for purposes of a quorum, the vice president doesn't count. Huh. <laughs> so <laughs> if the Republicans insisted on a physical presence for votes, and the Republicans had complete support for that and would not be present, the Democrats wouldn't be able to muster 51 votes. That would shut down everything. That's a threat, and you wonder whether McConnell will go that far, but it's possible. Wow, so interesting. Well, so have have Republicans crafted legislation to counter H.R. 1? There are actually hundreds of bills pending in the states. Uh, the Georgia Senate, for example, voted to end this no-excuse absentee ballots. Uh, and the Georgia House voted to restrict Sunday voting, which is popular among black voters, and curtail uh, these mail-in ballot drop uh, boxes. Uh, Iowa cut the period in which mail-ins can be returned and shortened the hours, reduced early voting, barred local election officials from distributing 
ballots, absentee ballots, unless the voters ask for them. New Hampshire has proposed a lot of re- regulations. Uh, Arizona want to exclude absentee ballots that are not postmarked by Thursday before election, even if they arrive by election day. So, you know, those bills are all going to be challenged as discriminatory under the 14th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act. And I think that some of the more egregious provisions uh, may be overturned, but some of them will hold up. It depends on how severely they curtail the rights of minority groups. So interesting. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the, I found this conversation so interesting, Bob, uh, chairman of the Cato Institute. CATO.org is the website. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. He's the author of a great read. It's off topic for today's discussion, but it's called Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. 
Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Well, uh, let's start off with a discussion about uh, what's happening with Christy Nome. Uh, the the news headlines themselves uh, jolted me. I took a look at what she, she was doing, and I was saying to myself, what is going on? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, let me apologize to your uh, listeners. I'm a little hoarse this morning, so uh, I hope it doesn't intrude on what we're saying, Bob. Uh, first of all, let me just uh, cite a letter to the editor that I had sent into the Naples Daily News in January 2008. It was published as the letter of the day, and I only bring it up for one reason. This was my wish list for 2008, and one of the points I make was that that we secure our borders so that controlled legal immigration can continue as needed without being limited by the huge numbers of illegal agrarians. So here we are. We're now 12 years beyond that point. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is not, only not, have, it's not only not been rectified, but I think at this point it's been intensified. The estimate is that there's 100,000 people potentially coming in per month with that number going up to 200,000. Uh, we also have a lot of these uh, illegals being uh, air transported around the nation, to, particularly to the northern states apparently, and being housed at, uh, at hotels at our expense. I understand the tab for that, the hotel tab is $85 million. So mm. here we are with an intensifying problem uh, with no resolve uh, in sight other than uh, just what can best be described as a pure open border situation, Bob. Very disappointing indeed. And, uh, of course, uh, the President Trump had the solution. It was working. And to dismantle what he had put together, and the, including the agreements with the uh, Central American countries, is just uh, absurd in my opinion. And as pointed out by all too many conservative commentators, and I think they're wrong, is that this is merely an attempt to uh, undo the, the Trump legacy. I think there's a far more... Uh, devious uh, um, plan afoot here, Bob, and that's, you know, as been pointed out many times, this is eventually to increase dramatically the number of Democrat voters, uh, and I think by 2022. So I think, as I mentioned last week to you, one of two things will happen. Either H.R. 1 will uh, put into law the illegal voting process of 2020, or uh, somehow the, um, the COVID-19 will be extended to 2022. Uh, and if none of that works, then essentially we're going to have the, uh, the immigrants, uh, the illegal immigrants made into legal voters. So uh, I think there's a, a three-pronged potential here in terms of how the Democrats hope to uh, hold the Senate and hold the House in 2022. Uh, you mentioned Christy Noem and the, um, I'm going to use the word the confusion of her of her position yeah. um always amazed when somebody takes a singular position as christy Nome did as it pertains to uh, keeping open south dakota during the uh, the general shutdown during the covid19 uh pandemic and i it was a very important and i think courageous move for christy Nome. but again it was a single issue process uh now she is apparently going to for all practical purpose veto uh, state legislation coming out of the legislature of South Dakota that would have banned the uh, the uh, the uh, the availability of males into females into uh, sports contests uh, in South Dakota, uh, and she has vetoed that apparently with the presumption that she is trying to form a coalition yeah. to eventually resist the NCAA challenges. Uh, to that prohibition, and um, it, it, to me, having heard her on both Tucker Carlson and the next day on Glenn Beck, I, I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss as to why she just couldn't have 
signed the legislation, and then if there was a co coalition possible to push back against the NCAA or any other businesses that would have uh, brought some pressures against South Dakota, uh, have fought the good fight at that point. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit distracted by, I think, her lack of articulation as it pertains to the issue. And in my estimation, uh, and again, I don't know all the nuances of this, right? Because uh, they are not available. But I think she was wrong in this in this approach. Well, and uh, I join you in that. And I'll just take a different approach. I would prefer for her to have said, "You know what? Uh, we're not going to participate in NCAA sports anymore here in our state. We uh, are going to begin uh, competing, perhaps with other schools." Uh, who are willing to do that, but we're not going to be part of the be a part of this until the NCAA resolves this egregious position uh, about uh, f males participating in female sports. That would have been my pre pre preference. I think it would have been bold. I'm sure she has. I'm sure she considered it, and I'm sure if I knew more, I'd, I'd probably more agree with what her position is. But uh, I would have liked to have seen something a little bit more bold. I, I totally agree with what you just said. I think there's another element to this, which was alluded to, and not directly stated, but I think there was a concern on her part that this would not only pertain to the NCAA and the restriction of South Dakota sports uh, in the larger uh, national environment, but also the way other businesses might be prohibited from doing business with South Dakota because they had taken that action against the transgender males. So I think there was a larger issue that she was alluding to, and, and she didn't specifically state it. I think that uh, Carlson uh, tried to get that focused on, but it did not come to a head. But I think that's also part of the issue here, Bob. Very interesting. I want to talk to you about what's happened in Alaska with China and our position with our negotiations with China and our international positions around the world. Can you stick around, Andy? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006 and I now have full range of motion in both knees and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com 
to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Among other things, they create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's kind of against the tide, if you will, with what's going on nationally. But you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andy Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Let me just say facetiously about what you just offered, Bob. When your government can print up money at will, essentially, uh, create the money from, uh, from thin air, uh, why do people have to go to work at all? All I got to do is print it up and distribute it. I, that, that's a longer discussion. That's modern monetary theory, which we alluded to last week. Uh, let, let me just talk briefly about uh, an issue that's going on, and I'll extend it to uh, the issue in, in Alaska with the, uh, the Chinese diplomatic position. Right now, there is a ship blocking the Suez Canal. Apparently, it's accidental. It's a Taiwanese uh, ship under a Liberian flag, and they estimate that it'll be at least two days before they can uh, unclog the Suez Canal and get ships flowing. I think we have to uh, you know, just take that into uh, account. There are 50 major uh, carrier ships that go through the Suez Canal uh, every day. It's a major uh, uh, point of, of easy transit into the Mediterranean area, and it's quite vital to, uh, to international shipping. If we look also at the other major world canal in terms of its importance, and that's the Panama Canal, I think we have to look at the growing Chinese influence uh, throughout Central America, throughout uh, South America, by outright uh, uh, funds being given to these countries and loans, and Chinese, the Chinese are building up strong port affiliations all through Panama. Uh, they're gaining a, a significant ability to influence the the Panama Canal. So I think if we look at the vulnerabilities of the of this planet uh, as we stand right now, there are many pointed out the the grids and so forth. But I think we also have to consider the Suez Canal and the Panama Canal as being significant points of vulnerability in terms of the world's economic being. Uh, moving that that Chinese position into what was going on in Alaska. Uh, and the uh, the talks between the United States diplomatic corps and the Chinese diplomatic corps. The opening statement by the Chinese diplomat was 18 minutes long, and much of it, though, was focused on excoriating the United States. It's certainly something that never would have taken place during the Trump administration. Right. But I think when uh, when I, uh, an animal senses weakness, that's that that's when they're most prone to strike, and I think that's what the the Chinese diplomat did just to. Uh, mention a few of the comments. Uh, he said, many people within the United States actually have little confidence in the democracy of the United States, and they have various views regarding the government of the United States. I think much of that was drawn from the, uh, from the issues of the election in 2020. Um, they go on to say, the challenges facing the United States in human rights are deep-seated. They did not just emerge over the past four years 
with just with Black Lives Matter. It did not come up only recently. Mm -hmm. So we do hope that for our two countries, it's important that we manage our respective affairs uh, uh, well instead of deflecting the blame on someone else in the world. Uh, this kind of tone, which is to uh, essentially excoriate the United States for its own uh, domestic problems in the areas of, of human rights, in the areas of the way our government is seen, uh, again, a, a very dramatic uh, change in my estimation. Uh, they also suggest there'd be uh, serious ramifications. They don't specify that what those would be uh, if there is any attempt to uh, protect Taiwan and, Ta and Tibet. Uh, um, in terms of their uh, uh, trying to prevent uh, Chinese mainland interference with Tibet or, right. or Taiwan. So there's a lot of issues being brought up by this Chinese diplomat, a very unusual 18-minute opening statement, and again, one that I think changes the whole tone of the international environment as it pertains to Chinese-American relationships. Right. In fact, they actually used our politics, Black Lives Matter, for example, as some sort of a norm to be compared to what's happening with the Uyghurs in, uh, in China. So the circumstances are so completely different. Black Lives Matter is completely a political... I mean, it's, it's totally made up, if you will, in, in my opinion. It's uh, being used as a political ploy against uh, Republicans, against the GOP. And they've managed to get it involved in international politics, and they're using it against the, uh, the United States. And the way they, the Chinese diplomat uh, discussed the Uyghurs was uh, they have all volunteered to go through re-education programs to become more supportive of the Beijing government. So that uh, this wasn't the, uh, right. the concentration camps that have been presented to the West, according to this Chinese diplomat. But these were voluntary uh, re-education facilities that the others voluntarily participated in. Right. So where do we go from here, Andy? I mean, to me, it looks like they are demonstrating real uh, uh, an intent of aggression as their next step moving forward in terms of their relationship with the United States. What are your thoughts? Well, I think we're also seeing a, uh, an alignment which has been uh, moving towards a strong relationship between Russia and China uh, over the past several years. I think that's, uh, that's uh, come to a stronger focus right now. So, so right now, uh, Xi and, and Putin have formed a very strong working rela relationship. Uh, you have to say that is a, an alignment uh, adversarial uh, not enemy, perhaps, but adversarial against the United States. Uh, a lot of that focus, both uh, China and, and Russia, support the government in Iran. And I think there's going to be pressure put on us to uh, facilitate and uh, accelerate yeah. uh, the development of nuclear weapons in, in Iran, which is, again, one of, the, one of the most dangerous things that can possibly happen. So I think this alignment with Russia and China is going to have... A, far-reaching ramifications, uh, and again, the, the weaker the, uh, the Biden-Harris, and by the way, that is now the official term for the Biden administration, you must say Biden-Harris, <laughs> yeah. uh, priming the pump for Harris, obviously, uh, but again, uh, as long as we, we appear weak, these, uh, these animals of, 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 the, uh, of the other part of the world are going to attack, there's no doubt in my mind, and I don't mean physically attack, but I mean attack the very right. nature of, of our democracy. Um, of course, and then uh, the dust-up with uh, Putin, the president of the United States, calling Putin a, a killer, and the, Putin's basically saying, hey, let's have a debate, let's have a discussion about that, a televised debate here in the next couple of days. Of course, what, what's that accentuating? Well, that's certainly focusing on the president's inept ability, his, un, his uh, 
not only his unwillingness, but his inability to participate in such a debate. You know, I, I get a little bothered by uh, the occasional American hypocrisy, and that's more prevalent during leftist administrations. But if we look back at the, the drone killing of Alawaki uh, under, under Obama, uh, who was an American citizen and killed in a, uh, by, by a drone attack, uh, and of course then we've attacked the, the crown prince of, of Saudi Arabia for the Khashoggi murder. We, we attacked uh, Putin for his uh, attack on a, uh, on a dissident, dissident. And, you know, these are all legitimate issues, but uh, to remove ourselves from the uh, from the issue of whether or not we have used, um, I'm going to use the word killing, uh, as, a, as a tool of, of international diplomacy, uh, I think is absolutely wrong. Uh, probably no nation in the world, and let's say it's with justification, has authored more deaths than the United States over the past 30 or 40 years, Bob. Yeah. And I know that sounds harsh, but... Uh, if we're going to be taking that kind of line against Putin and against uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, I think we have to acknowledge uh, the role the United States has played in terms of what I regard in many cases as a, an unnecessary death toll to, to accomplish um, foreign policy um, uh, intent. Yeah, so. So, so if you just take a step back from everything that's going on right now and you take a look at the focus of spending trillions on things like climate change, the, you know, our entire agenda seems out of whack with in, ter in terms of what our real concern should be. Well, I, I think that's, <clears throat> that's another point that was made by the Chinese diplomat is that uh, we seem to be focused on things that absolutely have have absolutely no real significance while avoiding all of the major issues that uh, that do have significance. So I think that uh, they point out uh, climate change as, as as being an undue focus. Now, the Chinese do support the, the issues of, of carbon reduction. Uh, of course, they're not going to do it. They're putting more coal plants <laughs> online than any country. As a matter of fact, all countries in the world combined at this point. Right. Uh, so it's just it's just public uh, public discussion. Uh, but on the other hand, they, they do fault us for this this uh, undue uh, focus on issues that, that really are not significant issues when it comes to the, the long-term development of, of, of better circumstances for this planet, Bob. No, well, we certainly, this discussion, my, my view is that we're certainly in a much weaker position than we were just a couple of months ago, unfortunately, internationally, and uh, uh, I think this discussion has brought it to light. Andy, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary on the show. Again, the name of the book is Josephus of Oz, a great read. I encourage you to take a look at it. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. We'll do breakfast soon, Bob. Thank you so much, Andy. Always enjoy his uh, company. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell. He's endowed professor at the University of Houston, and he writes a column for Newsmax. Uh, the name of the column is On Point, and he writes two or three columns a week. He also is the author of a terrific book I just re completed reading yesterday, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay 
The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity, maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website NADCKids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I hope you take a look at Choice Social. It's a new and refreshing social networking platform. Uh, I'm on it. Put my show on it. In fact, you can find out more by visiting choicesocial.us our website, choicesocial.us. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, as I mentioned before the break. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston. Space architecture has played such an important role in our space program. He's also an author of several books. His latest, I just finished yesterday, just released, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Professor, I enjoyed the book so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for uh, reading the book and... Uh expressing your appreciation for it. Uh, it was quite an adventure writing it, and uh, I think I learned a lot from the process, and I hope others do as well. Well, and it uh, certainly ties together with uh, several of the, some of the themes from your previous books. In fact, they all kind of tie together in, in, in an interesting way. Uh, this book, I think, is so interesting. It's one of the things that I, conclusions I drew is that we really are fortunate to be alive today, to be in the positions that we are, to have the great opportunities that we have, given the randomness of everything that happens in our universe and, and where we are today. You know, and if we look through history and try to get a perspective, I'm talking about a long history of, of hundreds of thousands of years, and we look at how, how uh, by today's standards, how, how slowly physical evolution occurred and, and even learning occurred very slowly where, you know, it took you know, a very long time to figure out if you sharpened a stone on both sides, it got sharp, you know, twice as, you know, got much sharper for a, the blade of a, of a weapon and so on. And, and, uh, and then we progressed through the various, the various periods, you know, the, of course the, 
the empires and we progress towards the, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the changes in culture where we kind of ganged up. We, we invented agriculture and ganged up on the Neanderthals and outnumbered them and outwitted them and, uh, and progressing forward to becoming, you know, the, you know, the communities, the builders, the, the inventors, uh, and so on. And, but, and the Industrial Revolution, of course, changed things very dramatically. And But again, by today's standards, very slowly, because mm-hmm. it was one innovation on top of another innovation. Today it's, today it's exponential, and we, you know, we're, we're, we're moving forward and changing. Our culture is changing, and our technology is changing more rapidly, of course, than our brains are, and, and we're, and we're, we're, we're basically in a very unknown territory of, of, uh, inventing things that in some respects are smarter than we are. And, and, uh, sometimes we're evidencing not being so smart after all. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a, it's a frightening book. And on one hand, uh, you know, we, we don't want to say it's, it's doom and gloom because we're going to destroy ourselves. Uh, it was the same inventions, uh, Give us the opportunity to do absolutely marvelous things and mm. exploration of, of other planets and moving out into space, but but also perhaps enriching who we are as humans and and uh, so everything has is an upside and downside and and the question is what's our generation going to do with it and you know, what's this what are all these generations alive today going to do with it mm-hmm. and where are we steering it because. Uh, because this rocket's going uh, very, very fast, and unless we control it, uh, it could lead to a very bad place. Uh, absolutely. Well, uh, one of the things that I started the show by mentioning that the woman uh, had uh, her, she was uh, docked up with the Russians uh, on Mir and uh, spent the longest time in space, and I've forgotten her name right now, unfortunately. But irrespective, I think the point being that uh, we were somehow able with arch enemies with the Soviet Union at the time to uh, form a relationship uh, that was, uh, was mutually beneficial. And perhaps the same thing can happen on our exploration of space going forward and into Mars. Well, there's always the hope that, you know, maybe we, we go to space to discover how we live with ourselves and live with others, you know, because it's, you're, you're cooped up in a telephone booth with uh, with people from other countries and other languages and other tastes and cultures and ideas and and so it's uh, it's a space you know you're going to space it's a it's a place where you you can kind of look back at the earth and see it in perspective where you know you see boundaries but only in the sense of boundaries where good land use bad land use erosion maybe into the into the little bodies of water and you see, uh, you know you see which areas are lit up at night and have power and which ones don't and mm-hmm. you know you can spot North Korea pretty pretty rapidly in that regard as a dark area and and but you you develop kind of a human perspective and awe of how we're all you know kind of in this telephone booth called Earth in the in the broad cosmos of space and uh, and and notions how do we how do how do we live with that how do we get along with that and then there's a 
you know, the, the, the issue we have today, which is, uh, one hand, globalism, which is to say, let's, let's, all, let's all have one world government, and it's all just, it's really uh, uh, go towards, towards that direction, versus nationalism, which is to say, you've got to get your own house in order before you, you start, uh, you know, extending the opportunity for oligarchs to take over central control of everything and so we're fraught with all of these all of these issues and questions and challenges and it's it's very daunting and and of course we see that very evident today uh, and uh, it's a question of where our own where our own families and our own lives are going there and which which form of government will prevail will we become Socialist, Marxist, communists—as uh, I've written about so often—and I have friends who, who uh, also one was with the Russian space program. Says, "My God, well, what are we doing here? We went through this with the Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, why, are, why, are, why are we making the same mistakes now? Now that I'm a U.S. citizen, I came here to, you know, to have a different life." Right, I've had and that you conversation. Don't seem to learn much. I've had that conversation so many times myself, uh, Professor. It's just unbelievable. You know, I, and uh, would like to ask you about uh, the phenomenon now that we're seeing about these uh, unidentified space objects uh, or flying flying vehicles. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, speaking of Russia, I had this, this crazy experience when I was one of the first Americans invited over to visit the Russian space program and. Meet with some of their leaders uh, after after the Soviet Union imploded. And one evening, I was invited to have dinner with a professor there from the Moscow Aviation Institute. He's no longer alive, but he had a, he had a picture on his wall that uh, I thought was rather interesting. It had a picture of the Boron rocket, which was a copy, uh, a shuttle, which was a copy of our, our American shuttle, sitting on a launch pad, and up above it was this little object of some sort, and I. And, and the photograph was very small, and I, I, I made a quip. I said, it looks like a flying saucer. And he said, well, let me let me show you a blow-up of that, a larger image of that. And and sure enough, it, it was a... Uh, and I can't recall whether it was it was cylindrical. I, I can't really remember exactly the the form because it was quite some time ago. But but it certainly it was a human-made object of some sort. And, and he said that, you know, they had seen sightings and... That's totally out of my out of my experience. I I don't know. Mm. Uh, you know, to me, you know, the closest uh, uh, repository of other life would be so many light years away. I can't imagine that they, how they'd get here, or whether it would even be in- interesting enough for them to visit. But but it it is interesting, and I and I do know people who who have strong you know feelings about that and beliefs in that. But uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I guess it's one of those one of those mysteries that maybe one day we'll we'll discover, and uh, and I'll leave that for them. Uh, very good, Professor. Well, I, you know, some of these things just seem to defy the laws of gravity and uh, physics, but it's such an interesting phenomenon. Well, I just want to leave uh, uh, our conversation with a recommendation for our listeners. What makes humans truly exceptional is the name of the book. What makes humans truly exceptional by Larry Bell. I think you'll find it to be a very interesting read. Professor, always appreciate your conversation here on the on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
And Bob, I always enjoy it as well. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Dr. George Markovich, orthopedic surgeon. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Les Government. Keith Flaw, he's the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, always appreciate his commentary on what's happening here locally. Always appreciate hearing from you. You can send me an email at bobhardenathotmail.com if you'd like to be on the distribution list of the newsletter that goes out. Again, bobhardenathotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>